You are listening to the Stronger Together Experience. My name is Dr. Matthew X. Joseph, and my goal is to meet with educators across the globe and learn from them, learn with them, because I believe being stronger together allows us to collaborate and support one another's growth. So join me in this episode and all episode to learn stories from educators in the field sharing their experiences to help us grow and become stronger together. Remember, when we work collaboratively, we take our story and make our path and journey one to learn from. So as we move through this and listen to our stories, remember, we over me will make us stronger together. We are back for another episode of the Stronger Together podcast experience. And leading up to today, I was thinking and looking and and practicing some different things. And when I was updating the website, I noticed we are approaching our 50th episode. And, you know, thinking back about this, I could never thought I never thought we'd get even one or two episodes. And I'm just extremely excited and honored to have so many people interested in sharing their stories, but moreover for me to learn and meet new people. So when it was approaching 50, I said, all right, I need to know who to have on for 50. And talking about Stronger Together, there was only one person I could have thought of that two years ago reached out to me that started a a friendship and a partnership that is just continuing to get stronger each and every day. Brian, welcome to the podcast. This guy, look at him. (laughs) This way. Look at that. 50 oh, episodes wait. in, and I got you in your car. Like, can't beat that. Jeez, you, buddy, I, you've got to be the fastest podcast growing on Twitter these days. I oh, see. I would say it's the fastest growing podcast for sure. Oh, and and really? just like that, we're going to be over 75 in the next two weeks just from FETC alone. It's it's amazing. Come on now. you got to be close to 200,000 downloads this year. This year it's, already, 2023 already. Already, it is, it is cruising, and just having your Canadian mug on here, I think we're going to reach new heights for sure. Well, that's seven hundred and fifty thousand in Canada if you're comparing data. <laughs> there you go. I like the the <laughs> conversion for sure. Uh, so, for those very few people out there who don't know who you are, uh, share uh, who you are, where you're calling in from, and, and your journey. And for those who want more, I'm going to put website down below. We'll be scrolling throughout the episode. 
Hello, world. My name is Brian Aspinall. I am an educator. I wear many hats. Predominantly, many. many. Predominantly, I'm an educator. I spent 15 years in the middle school classrooms, grade seven, eight, before I got poached to go to the faculty of ed, where I teach computer science uh, at two campuses in the province of Ontario. So for the last few years, I've been teaching teachers. And I'm going to tell wow. you. Yeah. Uh, teachers are the worst students. There, I said it. I, put it <laughs> I don't care. Troll me. Cancel me. I said it. Teachers are the worst students. There you go. So why do you keep keep going back? Oh, I love it. It is a beautiful foot. Well, okay. Let me back it up a little bit and I'll tell you some truth here. We're going to have some hard Good. talk. Let's so have I've it. Always, I've always been an innovator. And when I was working for a public school board in the K to 12 space, I was constantly getting a slap on the wrist for conflict of interest. Not that I was being challenged with being in a conflict of interest, just that when you're designing new things in this modern era that we've not chartered before, People ask questions. So when I'm building an app for my classroom, superintendents are going to ask if I'm collecting student data. Of course, you got to collect student data if you're going to create kind of a login page in order to create some kind of an app. Not challenging me on a conflict of interest, just having a question because it's not been done before. How many teachers do you know that create apps that they use with their students on regular basis in their classroom all the time? Uh, moving forward in the higher ed space, I keep coming back because they're like, oh, no, we're for profit. There's no such thing as a conflict of interest. So go ahead and promote your books and your courses. I like it. And, and speaking of, as we, you said, you wear many hats. You have your Codebreaker hat on. I have my shirt on. And, and where it all began with oh, Codebreaker book. Look so, at that. Blast from the past. Blast from the past. But that's kind of, I mean, not where it started for you. Obviously, started before then. But that's where all of those ideas and thoughts and, and kind of hopes and dreams came together. So tell us about the book, the original book, the original book that started it all. That book is now just over five years old and still, completely, wow. still completely relevant. The uh, tasks, the lessons, the projects inside are all completely relevant still by, by today. I mean, if you look at it, it's been five years in education minus two for a pandemic. The books, I guess, three years old, so to speak in practice. Uh, right. Where did it start? Well, we teach to our strengths and computer science is my undergrad. And so knowing that when I get a degree in computer science, a good 60% of my courses are math. There's got to be an entry point in the math uh, math field in order to integrate computer science and computational thinking and coding. Sure. So when, I ended up, when I ended up in seventh grade and eighth grade, I kind of found my niche. We teach, sorry, we do not teach. <laughs> to the test we have standardized testing here in, sure. the sixth grade in the province of ontario we have standardized testing here in ninth grade in the province of ontario so guess what two grades the administrators just leave you alone in that's right seven eight so there you <laughs> go <laughs> they're just like keep the 14 year olds out of the office and everybody wins right that's your job you're the intermediate we call it intermediate you're the intermediate teacher grade seven eight uh, all kidding aside there is some truth to that let's be honest um, but we teach to our strengths. So coding is something. Coding is something I've been doing for uh, almost two decades now. And when you know it catches like wildfire. So around 2006, 2007, 2008, I had a bunch of districts in my area here in southern Ontario, Canada say, how have you been doing this? It takes forever to write a coding curriculum. You've been integrating coding into multiple subject areas because you have a seventh, eighth grade homeroom. What does that look like in drama? What does that look like in French? What does that look like in history? What does that look like in language arts, literacy, math, science, etc.? 
so I, I was presenting at conferences. Uh, I got scoped, scooped, poached by the ministry here in Ontario. I ended up working okay. for the province in uh, 2018. I led a team of teachers. They paid me a, a nice chunk of change. Chunk of change. Never hurts. Yeah, on top of my teaching salary to lead uh, a group of uh, teachers across Ontario to create coding resources, not a coding curriculum, but how do you use code as a tool to teach, for example, the particle theory in seventh grade science? So our sure. task was to create all kinds of curriculum around existing Ontario curriculum documents that use coding as the tool to support enhance learning. And of course, uh, the speaking caught on and it was a no brainer that there's an opportunity to put the book out there into the world. So many people are, are asking for this. What does this look like across uh, subject areas? So the idea came to be 2016. I began writing 15 ways to get started with coding in your classroom. And that book came to life in November 2017. That That's pretty impressive. And for those of you who don't follow Codebreaker, check out the Twitter handle right there. Check out the website in, 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 in here, here, all over the place. It's all over. And one of the things as we focus on Stronger Together, which was just an idea a year ago, and now it's out and now it's a podcast, you talk about it and also about growth where we said Codebreaker was where it started and look where <laughs> it's at now. <laughs> and that's that's two months ago where it's even more photos in there now. So yeah. how, how did that happen? You go from one book to now, you know, let me take these banners out because Codebreaker, we got Mammoth Learning, we got X Factor. Like, how does that, how does it go from one book to that? You know, it's funny. When I was still in a formal, I'm still in a formal education system. It's just higher ed. When I was working for a publicly funded school district here in the province of uh, Ontario, Canada, I started to meet folks who were saying to me, if you want to make a change, you know, you've got to do it from the inside. You're going to want to become an administrator, run a school the way you want, blog about it, capture the story of the school, be completely transparent, share your learning. Then you'll probably move into a superintendent role and you'll have an opportunity to make some decisions around the entire district so that you can implement some change. And that all sounded incredibly bureaucratic to me. And it's <laughs> not, not something that I wanted to uh, dabble with. So rather than climbing the internal corporate ladder, I just sort of went out and built my own and Codebreaker became my passion project, my uh, as it was recently described, beautifully dangerous invitation to have a discussion or reflection on education. On March 13th, 2020, uh, that was a Thursday. Sorry, March 12th, 2020 was a Thursday. Okay. March 13th, Friday 13th, the day the world stopped. The NBA shut down Thursday the 12th that night. The whole world shut down. We're done. Was, yeah, done. That's it. No one's, everyone's grounded for two years. Uh, I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I live about 45 minutes outside Detroit on the Canadian side. And I was at McCall, Michigan Association of Computer Users and Learning. It was a conference in Grand Rapids. I was supposed to be a Friday morning uh, featured speaker at the event. Didn't happen. They were like, they're closing the border. You've got to get, get home to get win. Out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at that point in time, I was already in the higher ed space. And for those of you that teach a college level course or some university courses, you know it doesn't pay the bills, right? <laughs> fun. So I got up that Saturday, March 14, 2020, and saw, you know, over $100,000 worth of consulting and speaking gigs go out the window overnight. 
indefinitely for the future, for the foreseeable future. And that was a little bit scary. It was very, very scary. Number one, I had recently given up my full-time teaching position with (laughs) full benefits, with full pension, with summers off, gave it all up, uh, walked into literally nothing on that March 14th. 2020 my wife's also an educator she was currently teaching a 0.5 class at the time so we didn't have a lot to pay the mortgage and i started thinking you know this social media following that i have came as a result of early well number one using twitter in the early days number two sharing innovative resources i've been blogging since 2013 writing about computer science and all of those other things sure um I lost it. What was I talking about? It all went away. The journey. The journey, yeah. So it was like, I've been using my blog to share the voices of others. I've been trying to retweet folks. I've been trying to amplify folks. And I got thinking about the messaging I was told from my former district about making change to the field of education and having to do it sort of from the inside of that formal system. And I thought maybe this is the universe telling me to leverage the social media that has, you know, literally fallen into my lap over 100,000 followers across all platforms over the last 10 years. Maybe we can use that to tell the stories of another other amazing educators that need to be heard. So I literally went back to all the school district leaders I'd met sort of on the road the previous five or so years and said, we're all at home for the next foreseeable future, like at least six months. You've got a great story to tell in little Osage, Iowa. You need to tell your story. The world needs to hear what you're doing in education because you don't need to live in the big cities to be innovative and to do great things for kids. It doesn't matter where we live. And I did that. I started reaching out to the school and district leaders I'd met over the years and said, you've got a wicked story to tell. Uh, I've already written three books at this point in time. I've done the process. I know how this works. I'm going to be starting a publishing branch of our consulting business. Is this something that might interest you? And not, not a single person said, no, wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, I mean, we are having a conversation now, you and I today, as a result, fast forward, you know, three years, about about 40 plus books in the leadership series. Uh, It's growing ridiculously fast. Every day we get manuscripts thrown at us all the time. We get requests to speak all over the world all the time. I just got another one yesterday for Ottawa up here to speak to a student body. So I forget what your question was. It was something about where it started, where it is now, how the heck it got there. Everybody has a story to tell. If you're an educator and you've been in the classroom, people need to know what you've got to say. So start a blog if you don't already. I like it. And if you had a chance, I know that came up pretty quick. Check out the website down below, all the books, all the resources, Everything is there to check out and all of the amazing team. And now as part of this growth, the Codebreaker team is part of, you know, X Factor team, the Mammoth Learning team. It just continues to to grow and be global as well. It started with me being flat broke March 14th, (laughs) to now having offices in three countries across the world. So there you go. Under three years, right? Uh, yeah. And so I want to just shift for a minute because I know, you know, we say the Codebreaker brand is out there. You talk about coding a lot, but you're also a leader in the field. Too often people get lumped into one category and you're not just coding. You're about leadership and you're about change. And again, here's another where it started and, and where you've been. Like you're five books in now and from from ranging from from coding to you talked about taking a risk, which you did. And most recently talked about some of your own work in the Passion Project 
and when passion meets project and then disrupting the status quo. So how have you grown over those five books? You have five quote unquote adult books and two kid books and two well. kids books. Yes. Uh, here's how I've grown. And this part's, this part's true. Uh, I'm going to start by saying it's okay to be where you are. It's not okay to stay there. We all have different entry points. We all have different levels of comfort. And I'm speaking in the context, I think of technology integration. So Codebreaker, my first book, was a book on integrating computer science into your everyday classroom, whether it's third grade or 10th grade, certain subject area, it's how to do it. My second book, Blockbreaker, was how to incorporate games-based learning, specifically Minecraft. So the play on words being Blockbreaker, that is a Minecraft block. If you okay. invest a Minecraft block as a cubic meter, then your entire math falls into play you can do your patterning you can do number sense you can do scaling proportions you can build patterns and that's just on the, the numeracy part you can build structures for science and geography wetlands and etc 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 but it all uses math at the foundation so those first two books i was really 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 proud of those and then it, it dawned on me that technology has a shelf life Sure. And one of my favorite books is Mindstorms, written by Seymour Papert, and it was written in 1981. And yes, wow, Lego Mindstorms is named after that book. If you didn't know what year that book was written and you just read chapter three, it would pass for something that we preach today. So although that book is about technology, it is about coding. It's got this timeless component to it that I loved. And my first two books didn't carry those. And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to you know, stay relevant and talk about what I want to do, I need to look at education through a leadership lens, less on that content side. So the, the pivot for Codebreaker into the leadership space was less about physically coding and more about the metaphor of breaking codes. That is making change, pushing back, sure. disrupting things. That aren't working. I recognize, you know, and we're not far off from a world where software writes software. We preach today, <laughs> it needs to learn to code. I don't know what that looks like tomorrow. Let's be honest. Right, right. But the way kids learn and the way we teach, yeah, of course, that's going to evolve, but it's not going to change exponentially quickly, like the use of something like a scratch tool in your classroom. So my, my learning moved into more uh, documenting where I've come where I've been, what I used to know, what I think I know now, and, and where I'm going. So when Passion Reads Pop Project, my I'll even back it up further, Risk Taker, my third book, closing out the, the trilogy of The Breaker, was simply that. It was a collection of voices from educators all across North America who are doing amazing things, taking risks uh, for the betterment of the kids in their classroom. When Passion Meets Project and Disrupt the Status Quo, are both books, I think, that challenge the air quotes, traditional schooling. I'm using the air quotes. A lot of people don't like the, the labels, so I'm going to use the right. air That stay, works. You're allowed. Say traditional schooling. That means different things to different people. Um, but what I mean is being a computer scientist and seeing what coding has done for my students – I understand that when kids learn to code, when kids learn anything new, that they they have to then apply or demonstrate. Nine times out of ten, it never works the first time through, challenging us to redefine what it actually means to fail at school. The grading narrative that we currently have in place across this globe is based on 
a quantity of correct answers that's done in a minimal amount of time. And those days are long gone. I mean, we look at great math students as as problem solvers. And I'm going to back up a little bit and I'm going to sure. remove the adjective great. I don't I regret saying great math students because that implies we have not great math students. And if we just say math students, perhaps we can remove some of that math phobia that comes along with time testing environments and standardized testing. So a big part of my growth has been using coding and computer science because it's really hot to get my foot in the door at certain district, high-end district levels to have conversations about pedagogy, assessment, evaluation, good teaching, good learning. I won't even say best practice. I don't think there's anything <laughs> such thing as best practice. And those are unless you're playing word word bingo, but yeah, buzzword bingo. Buzzword here. bingo. Um, so my learning to give you a Cole's notes of my long winded answer moved from literally teaching kids how to code to having conversations with district leaders about report card writing, assessment, and evaluation. Yeah, that, that's, that's impressive. And, and, and for those of you who want to check out the book, Mindstorms, Seymour Papper, uh, started this whole uh, pathway as well. And for those of you who don't follow Brian, check out his Twitter handle there. So I'm going to show you two more pictures, and it's the same person. I think this is one of the things that impresses me about the work that you do, that you can stand oh, up in front of a room of 200 people, but I've also seen you stand up in front of a room of second graders or first graders. <laughs> same person doing both of those things. How, how do you balance both of those kind of times in your life and being an educator from keynote in, in Orlando to second grade coding in Osage, Iowa. You know, I want to visit everybody's classroom across North America. If you're watching, I want to come and visit your classroom. If I get asked to come to a district to do a conference or professional learning or a workshop or anything of that nature for staff, I will really push for three days minimum. I don't want to be a fly in fly out guy. That doesn't make change. That's just listen to me. I'm super important. Now I got to go big, get on a big old airplane. Here's a pile of books. Good luck with you. I want to do the why with educators. Then I want to do the how with educators. And then I want to do the how with students. So if we're talking computer science, professional development, I'm going to give you all the pedagogical research from decades ago. By the way, Seymour Papert studied under Piaget, constructivist learning theory. Wow. Seymour Papert and his team created Logo in the 60s at MIT Media Lab, the first block-based coding language for schools. Seymour Papert's students were Mitch Resnick and company, and they then created Scratch in the 2000s. So we now wow. have from current modern Scratch programming in classrooms back to Piaget, constructivist learning theory, we have decades, if not a century, of pedagogical research about the importance of computational thinking. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> Uh, on that one. What was your question again? Oh, how do you, how is, how is this guy the same as this guy? Well, you know, the best professional learning happens in my opinion, when the homeroom teacher is in the classroom watching the students do it. So I want to come and I want to do district learning with your staff, but then I want to teach every class in your building for the next two or three days. And I want every homeroom teacher to watch I hope the administrator can actually go and get a supply teacher, sorry, a substitute teacher. We call it supply teacher up here in Canada. And somebody asked me once, what do you do, carry around paintbrushes? So I got to get rid of that <laughs> substitute teacher uh, so that homeroom teachers can all kind of watch that lesson. I find the um, best way to make change is that grassroots 
uh, kid level. You know, kids demand everything. And the kids will say, "What? Look what they're doing in the other class. Why are Absolutely. we so and so's class doesn't do homework? They don't take notes. Why are we? We hear it every single day in every single classroom." So to go from speaking to a crowd of, by the way, can you show that photo again? I'm really proud of this photo because I know when this photo was, look at that. Not a single person is on their device, huh? Not one. They're all <laughs> watching. 45 minutes into my keynote, not a single person is on their device. Can we say the same about the students in our classrooms? I don't know. So I love these days, those days, the big room days. I really do because I get to share what's happened in my classroom. But I especially love going into classrooms and working with those second grade students. I can't tell you how many kids from all over the world follow me on social media and their parents. And that, I think, is so meaningful and so impactful. I've got parents all over the North America who still DM me saying, remember that time you were in my kid's district <laughs> days? They still talk about it. It's amazing. Not that I'm doing anything innovative. It's just that when you embed kids in project-based learning through a computer science lens, it doesn't feel like school. The kids don't think they're being graded. So in their mind, it's fun. Right. So I'm going to get you out on this. One question I ask every, every uh, person that comes on and you exemplify this from that, you know, single book that we talked about up to this this group of books we talk about codebreaker going into x factor now mammoth learning we are stronger together but what does stronger together mean to you uh you know what codebreaker twice three times three times at the tail end of 2022 by three different people who never met each other prior never spoke to each other prior described Codebreaker as a movement. And that to me exemplifies all that is stronger together. In education, we get siloed into our classroom. And the bigger silo of our classroom is our school. The bigger silo of our school is our community, then our district, then geographically our city, town, province, state, and then finally country. So there's a lot of silos to get through. Uh, and quite often we carry these blinders on. We're so focused on our district messaging that gets filtered to a super level, that gets filtered to an administrative level, that gets filtered to the PD day level that the messaging is passed on to staff, that it's like playing telephone at a campfire. By the time the message gets to the final person through the tin can, it's been <laughs> changed over 75 different possible times. So allowing Codebreaker, uh, a group of individuals from all over the world that are all practicing educators every single day, because we all are. Every single person in the camp is still in the field every single day. That makes us stronger together. We are not tied to the um, necessary required initiatives of each district. Those things have to happen. Let's be honest. Sure. Those, those things have to happen. We're not bound to those. We're not tied to those, nor do we have to write report cards. So we get to get together on the Friday morning code breaker lounge. We get to get together on the stronger together podcast. We get to get together on the Tuesday night code breaker chat and everybody brings something to the table. Every single person I've met knows something I don't. And everybody in the code breaker camp, I really, consider number one my friend number two a colleague but most importantly a mentor the best this is my shameless code breaker number one plug 
the best professional learning you can possibly ask for is starting a publishing company and editing 30,000 words written by 40 different teachers during <laughs> lockdown over the course of two years. There is no professional that is unmatched professional learning during a global pandemic that is stronger together that is that is awesome so for all of you out there watching make sure to check out uh brian on his twitter page down below website has all the other information too through socials and everything where you can learn all these great things and the blog everything is there as well as looking up all the resources he has, videos, so much we could get into. If you're interested in learning more about Codebreaker, check out their website um, as well as their tool. Holy. What'd you say? We've got the four Codebreaker Academy courses going too. Four Codebreaker Academy. We, you know, like you said, the chat, the blogs, we have a blog page. There's a podcast page. Check all of it out because at the end of the day, you'll see it at the end of the closing. I talk about that we over me is critically important. And I think Codebreaker and you exemplify that each and every day for sure. So thanks for being my, my 50th. You always remember your 50th, Ooh, I hear. You always remember your 50th. <laughs> you got to buy a wood gift or gold? What's the <laughs> I, I don't know, but we'll find it out and I'll expect it from you for sure. All right. Dinner on me in New Orleans. How's that? I'm going to hold you to it. It's being recorded, so I have it. Thanks for coming on. And for all of you watching out there, continue to tune in, see all these great voices sharing about all the work that's happening out there. And as I said earlier, we are stronger together when we put we over me. such a pleasure and honor to learn from educators around the globe make sure to continue to tune in to our audio podcast and check out our video podcast by visiting xfactor.link experience i would love to hear your story and share with other educators around the globe